Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to get mean and nasty with the Unkind Rewind. Tonight, we're a trio of terror with... This is Blake. And? And, and. And, and, and. I'm Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Warner Brothers has announced that Steven Spielberg is going to adapt the book Ready Player One by Ernest Cline about a futuristic society where humans spend most of their time in basically an RPG called Oasis. That's this multiplayer where everybody plays this game. And it's basically become their new reality. The through line of it is that the owner of Oasis winds up having a scavenger hunt of sorts where the person that finds all the items and goes through the quest winds up having sole ownership of Oasis, correct? Right, okay. right. Owns the company, all of all of the billions of dollars that the guy's made because the guy's dead. And so that's what sets off the scavenger. He also gives them free reign in the game to do as he wishes. He can actually just stop the game if he wants, or he can actually change things in it, like bring people's avatars back, do all kinds of stuff in there. Now, when I heard about this, I sent Russell a text message, and I was just like, hey, have you read Ready Player Run? Because it seems like a sci-fi adventure that you would really, really dig, and I've heard other people talk about how great it is. And then Russell kind of responded with, oh, I hate it. Well, okay, I don't hate it. I enjoy it. And I enjoy it as the target audience should because, you know, it's it's fun and it's a romp. And I have to spend every second, you know, fighting to make myself remember that all of the separate parts of this book, if the, it weren't aimed directly at me, I would hate it. I would hate it like I hate Twilight. Now, when you say like the separate parts, what it is is it's it's filled with pop culture. Well, yes, it's filled with a bunch of pop culture references. It's... uh. The problem is that is the bulk of the substance of this story is, hey, do you remember this thing? We do too. But it doesn't go any beyond that. It doesn't really meaningfully tie that stuff in and say, you know, well, do you remember this thing? Because so does the author and so does the main character here. And that is something beyond immediately useful. The book is basically this concept of cameos nostalgia porn is the term term that i like for example at one point in this quest the main character is called upon to recite the entirety of monty python and the holy grail word for word it advances him in the quest but it doesn't advance the story at all some of the other things is you know every time the author mentions a song playing he mentions artist album and publication date of the album It really gets to the point after a while where it's the author going, do you remember this thing? I do. There's no commentary there. None of these things advance the characterization of anyone. It's a fantastic idea. It's a fantastic world. I just really wish that the world had been explored a little more. Some of the storytelling conceits that are involved are really interesting. It would be be awesome commentary on things that are happening in today's society. You know, sort of the job of sci-fi is to go, well, this is happening in the future and it's a little different, but it's exactly like now because this. Yeah, a lot of sci-fi is an extension on, it's an over-exaggeration of things that are happening. Exactly. There's a scene where one of the mega corporations at the time has an indentured servants division where if you owe this corporation enough money, you are put into indentured servitude to work off your debt 
that's an awesome idea. I really wish, you know, that had been more than a couple of pages. Because when when you actually think about nowadays and, you know, how right. credit card companies running rampant, student loans running rampant, things exactly. like that, then all of a sudden you sit there and you go, wait a second, how far does it have to go to become? Yeah, until somebody says it's legal for them to come and collect you from your house and make you work off your debt, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, there's a lot of great ideas in this story that are sort of glossed over. And a lot of that, I feel like, is this main character that's been chosen to be as every man as possible. There is not a single sentence or phrase in the entire book that explains what the main character looks like. There's a couple of scenes where he talks about how he looks in relation to how he looked before. He talks about shaving all his body hair so that he can get into the uh, the feedback suit that lets him experience the virtual war- world better. And he talks about how weird he looks without eyebrows. But He might as well be the little man on the bathroom door. Right. He literally is made to be anyone reading can self-insert and can you know identify as strongly as possible with him because there's nothing that will jar you out of that experience. And one of the things that me and you were talking about previously was, you know, the concept of how there are two t- there are two types of protagonists really. There are the protagonists that are interesting people that you want to be and then there are prota- protagonists that you literally are supposed to be. Right. We of course talked a little bit about uh, about Harry Potter. Right. And how, you know, we all love the world of Harry Potter, but I honestly could not give two shits about like, I would never want to be Harry Potter. I would want to be in his world. But at the same time, you know, do do I... Is right, there, exactly. What are the characteristics of Harry Potter that I want to have? I would want to be Harry Potter only insofar as it would get me into Hogwarts and would give me that ability to, you know, cast magic and that sort of thing. I don't know anybody out there that's first thought is, I want to be in a world where there's an evil wizard trying to kill me every day of my life. In fairness, I have some improvements on Harry Potter's seven-year stumble around and hope somebody else fixes his problems for him saga. Uh, It's called Hermione Granger. The book should have been written about Hermione Granger, who does virtually everything. Hermione Granger should have been the chosen one, and she would have solved that shit by year two tops. Oh, easy. But then we couldn't have an eight-movie franchise. If Hermione was your protagonist in Harry Potter, then it all of a sudden can become something of she's smart, she's brilliant. Like, she does have her problems where, you know, she's not really the most social of people. It's not that she's awkward, it's just that she pushes it back and she pushes it away. Hermione Granger is a character that you are interested in, as opposed to Harry, who is just a, a character. Right. I, I feel like characters that you aspire to be are for me at least, more compelling than characters that you are supposed to already identify with or identify with strongly. You should still identify with characters that you want to be, like with Hermione Granger and that sort of thing. You should be able to recognize her good qualities, see bits of that in yourself, and want to develop those. I feel like that is what makes a character worthwhile. Again, with this character, he sort of... He sits around. He sits around a lot. At one point, he spends six months sitting around because he can't remember a thing. Because obviously, you know, the whole storyline, the entire plot is moved forward by when he remembers a thing. There you go. He's on to the next thing to remember. And so at one point, he can't remember a thing and shuts down for six months. Yeah, and in this future world, Wikipedia has been banished. Right. Well, and so has, you know... 
there are people now who will take a look at the source code of games and find where the Easter eggs are because it's there in the code. It's been coded in. And so, you know, the multi-billion dollar corporation doesn't have anyone who can examine the code of this game and go, oh, okay, yeah, there it is. Because, of course, he's fighting the multi-billion dollar corporation, racing them to be the first to uh, do the thing. I would also like to point out that the main villain has a Mecha Godzilla that he gets to ride in one of the That's final true. battles. So, I mean, he's got to fight a Mecha Godzilla. In fairness, he also has his own giant robot. Oh, yeah, he turns but, into Ultraman, too, at some point. Yeah, a couple of times. I had one more major qualm with the with the book, at least, and maybe it'll be fixed in the movie. Oh, um, the fact that... So, I first read the book and stopped after about 100 pages because it's like it's like potato chips for your brain. Picked it back up at the start because, you know, 100 pages. Uh finished it that day and it's it was the feeling was very similar to pulling open a bag of potato chips and just sitting there on the couch and eating them one after the other. It made me feel greasy afterward like I had eaten a handful of potato chips. It's so serving to the audience. Right. Because it is talking about these 80s characters. Right. It's delicious and it's, you know, fun, but there's no substance to it. There's nothing underlying. There's no message to this book. And so when I reread it that day, um, I I had looked some stuff up, some other opinions on it to see, you know, where I fell on this spectrum. And one person says that his family dies. And I went, what? So I went back through my copy of the book. It took me 20 minutes to find the page where it describes his family dying because it's just that. A page. It affects him for another, you know, 30 pages of the book beyond that. And then he basically just goes, oh, well, I didn't really like him that much anyway. And, uh, I can just spend more time on the internet. They bomb his trailer park to kill him. He's more upset about the death of his downstairs neighbor. Right, his neighbors than he is of his aunt that he lived with. Right, than he is of his family. Well, the Dursleys were assholes anyways, so. Yeah, and it took me that long to find the description of his family's death because there's nothing devoted to that. Again, He shuts down for six months. That's also 30 pages of the book. So him not remembering a thing is, in terms of page length and and description devoted to it, is exactly as traumatizing to him as his entire family now being dead. And I'm supposed to empathize with this character. What Russell's saying is this book is not a book about characters. It's about a man who wanted to see all those pop culture references together. Right, exactly. He could have written a pop culture encyclopedia and we would have had the same book. Let's talk about that because it is one of those things that Warner Brothers is producing this and Warner Brothers has the rights to a lot uh, of characters and things like that, but they're not going to have the rights to all this. Spielberg was the guy that was able to produce and get together Who Framed Roger Rabbit and have those characters all intermingle. How well do you think they're going to be able to do this? And also, do you think it's going to change a little bit? Because the fact is, is there are going to be references from the book that a major going audience probably isn't going to know. I feel like it's honestly either going to get even more annoying because 
all of the stuff in the book where it's internal, where it's in his mind, is going to require some some setup time where he literally turns to a character and tells you what this reference that they're doing is. Yeah. Or it's going to get less annoying. You know, they'll cut down some of those references and they'll they'll maybe bring in some ones that current audiences would know and that sort of That's thing. That's what I was thinking. It'd be less of the older references from the book versus more of the references from like today's era so that it still makes sense in the movie of pop culture, but there's more people out there now that would be able to understand it. But anyway, I enjoy the book. It it was aimed directly at me and, you know, the millions like me that maybe didn't fit in that well in high school and don't really relate to people that well, but can remember, you know, the insane minutia of pop culture from, for me, uh, several years before I was born, but that I was sort of immersed in growing up. Sorry, that, that statement that you just said got me thinking about this. And if this is just a bullshit question that nobody wants to answer, that's fine. But when does being a geek become inversed? Like, we've gotten to the point now where, like, like being a geek and, like, knowing about, like, superheroes and weird shit and video games and all that kind of stuff is becoming, like, the Right, the if primary. not cool, then at least okay. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. It's, it's because it's actually the way that society has changed over. Like, don't forget, who were the big pop, like, who were the big... Uh, movie stars and everything back then. Another guy we're going to talk about later, James Dean. James Dean drove a fast car. James Dean was like Marilyn Monroe. She was the epitome of, you know, the good girl, the prissy girl. Well, not good girl, the bad girl that was good. And there weren't a lot of, like, Freaks and Geeks. Do you remember that TV show? Mm -hmm. That was where they picked out, you know, geeks as these geeky little things where the jocks were the big deal. Nowadays, you've got people like PewDiePie, uh, Rooster Teeth, Mark, Piler, Peeler, whatever his name is, these people are just what most of the kids these days in high school and even now college and middle school are seeing and wanting to be like. It's changing the way society's looking at all that stuff. Right, and I feel like some of that comes out of the entertainment explosion that we are currently living in because, you know, for a while, the reason James Dean got so big is because he was in you know, 40% of the movies that people would see that year. Right. And so, you know, he was he was a big name because that was all there was. And we are in this area where media is king. And right. And the fact is, is that, like, you have 900 channels. You have... You have 900 channels. You have YouTube, which has petabytes of videos of all of these people you know, there is never a moment where you can't be entertained unless it's by your own choice. Not to mention, you know, you've also got, like, if you think about how you're brought up, you know, the people that were brought up that were adults when James Dean was there brought their kids up to see the same things. And then you get stuff like Transformers coming out and Power Rangers and Star Wars and all that. And then as those kids grow up, they taught that to their kids and their kids are seeing it and teaching it to their kids, which is kind of where we're at now to where there's more of that geek stuff is actually these kids are growing up with it versus back then when that wasn't what you did because it just it literally did not exist. It was who was the football star and who was, you know, the prom queen and Right. Well, and I feel like also some of that is, you know, someone at some point I guess has sort of and maybe this is the internet that's that's really enabled this is people have been able to talk about their obsessions. 
and then other people who maybe aren't obsessed. Slow down. Nobody that I know talks about obsessions through the internet at all. Right. Uh, I, I mean, Tumblr obviously doesn't exist. Uh, Reddit doesn't exist. exist. We don't exist, that's for sure. Um, Nathan Philly. <laughs> Hey, that's my private obsession. <laughs> private. Nobody else on the internet has that obsession. I have a I have a bottle of lotion with the name Nathan scrawled across it, you know. Anyway, so the internet has allowed people to sort of share their obsessions and share them with large audiences of people who both do share those obsessions and also don't. And the people that don't are obsessed about something else in their life. Everybody is a geek about yeah, something. Yeah, everybody is a geek about something. Everybody is obsessed and can quote you stats about, you know, whatever it is that they enjoy. And, and now when you geek out about it, like maybe some people in school don't like what you like, but you can find somebody on the internet right. and geek out about it. Well, but also people are a lot more accepting of the fact that you like that thing because right. they like this thing. Uh, Ready Player One also, it's got me thinking about how we right now are sort of in the 80s era in a weird, weird mm-hmm. way where, you know, everything's coming full force. You're having all these eighties things come back and that will continue to progress. Whereas, you know, we, we just had transformers. Um, well, we've, we've had transformers for the past decade now, you know, as being a big major thing, major motion picture series and all this, they're talking right now and they're trying to get power Rangers back in the mix. And that goes from, you know, eighties to nineties. And the are they thing talking is, about doing like the original power Rangers? Yeah. Or yeah, yeah. Well, not, well, and not the, Turbo Time Dinosaur Ninja Force. What they're talking about is space? doing exactly what they did with the Transformers, where they're where they're like reboot. Let's the whole let's thing. reboot it. Let's start it over. With, let's use that name. Start from square one. Where you know the kids nowadays can get into it, or the people that grew up with it can get into it. I just if they do that, I still want them to reboot the Green Ranger, being the bad guy for a while. I mean that would be cool. I'm just excited for Dayglow to come back. <laughs> You have three choices, pink, orange, or this weird yellowy green. That's it. But man, that shit will reflect light. The safest possible shirt to wear when you're walking down the street at night. (laughs) It will reflect headlights back as though you were generating them yourself. (laughs) (laughs) When does it get to the point where we stop getting the references? Because we didn't grow up with those shows and and those... cultural references and all that kind of thing well never because we're children matt we're children at heart and we refuse to change we're also you know possessed of the weird conceit that our opinions are worthwhile so we're going to keep up to date on those things so that we can keep giving people our opinions on them i would say probably in about 20 20 25 years at that point it's going to start the references would start getting where we just haven't paid attention to them. 25 years and then we're going, watch that. Right. 25 years once I'm dead. Is that a plan? It's his retirement plan. Yeah, it's my retirement plan. <laughs> 50 years old, go out into the shed out back. And what do you do? I'm going to fight a grizzly bear barehanded. You won't survive that. Well, more than likely I won't. But if I do, then I'm known as the man that took down a grizzly bear barehanded. That's a retirement plan all in itself. There's actually a guy that already did that. Yeah, but it wasn't you, Russell. I know. Because you're going to fight two. Bald grizzly bears are freaky looking. Yep. Bear skeletons look almost exactly like human skeletons. Really? Yeah. They got hands with thumbs, even. That's creepy. Yeah. So. There's been times where law enforcement has 
you know, assumed it was human remains when they found a bear skeleton. Really? Yeah. Damn. Do you think, you know, when the apes take over, like, they'll talk about us like they talk about, like, we talk about Fink's cats, we're just, like, things shriveled up and nasty and weird. I think they do that now. Right. When I go to the zoo, all they're doing is yelling. <laughs> ew! Ew! <laughs> ew! Ew! <laughs> Get away! <laughs> Throw some poop at it, it'll look like fur. <laughs> <laughs> and there was my poop joke for the night. Aquaman it is. Aquaman it is. So, they just released a trailer for Quentin Tarantino's Hateful Eight. So they did. Yeah, so they did, which we saw. What would you guys think? I think it looks fun. Like, like I want to see it, not just because I want to go see another Quentin Tarantino movie, because, I mean, they're always usually really good. It's just, even watching the trailer, it just seemed like a fun movie. Like, whether or not the story's there, doesn't matter. It just looks like a movie where you can just watch and have a really good time and enjoy yourself. It kind of looks like the super band version of a Tarantino movie. Cause it's right. got, you know, it's got Kurt Russell in it who was in, um, who was in death proof and it's got Samuel L. Jackson who was in everything. Right. Tim Roth is part in reservoir dogs. Jesus Christ. The gentleman from justified who will be, uh, from the sounds of his accent, reprising his role as Boyd Crowder. Right. From justified. Um, you remember the character you played? Play that again for me. Right. Just play that character. That character was over-the-top, crime lord sort of guy. It's great. I really hope that that's the character that he is. It's got this crazy cast, which, of course, nowadays, you know, if, if you ask anybody, hey, you want to be in a Quentin Tarantino movie? You know, they'll say, absolutely. Um, <laughs> Let me clear my schedule. I really like the idea of, of Kurt Russell, though, because it seems like he's finally getting the chance to play John Wayne. I'm excited to see Tarantino do another Western. What Tarantino does best is create characters and then have those characters talk to each other. And the characters are so great that you don't care how long they talk. Yeah, true. Fun fact, Kurt Russell was in two movies, one right after the other, named Furious 7 and Hateful 8. These movies have nothing to do with each other. <laughs> you can read that joke from David Wong uh, on his page, uh, John Dies at the End, on Facebook. He's the dude that wrote John Dies at the End? Yeah. Oh, he's got a whole page and shit like that? Yeah. I like I like fucking John Dies at the End. So. Have you read the second one? No, I've watched the fucking movie. When they make a movie of the second one, I'll watch the fucking movie. Uh, spiders the are... One, the second one is called This Book is Full of Spiders. Seriously, dude, don't touch it. Yep. But no, John Dies at the End. Yeah. Like... Yeah. Really good movie. It's so fucking weird. Like, I'm I'm... It, it's one to, of those where if you read the book everything will make a lot more sense a lot more sense they they didn't have enough time in the movie to address um some of the underlying reasons behind stuff uh and also john dies you know sort of in the middle but you know <laughs> i like now that there are there are small budget films that you won't be able to get like that will never see a full wide theatrical right. release but ha- that have it's been getting cheaper to do special effects and things like right. that right right um, that have those effects like the the dog creatures what's, yeah what's the one that uh that me and curtis love so much that's um oh odd thomas yeah it's like odd thomas yeah like odd thomas was one which of was also a fantastic series of books but honestly i like the movie more really mm-hmm. yep but it's really really quirky it's got some cool effects and, and it's got of course an ending that you know they'd never put in a theatrical right. release so, an ending that Joss Whedon would send flowers for. <laughs> right. 
Joss Whedon shed a tear when he watched that movie. <laughs> Fox right now is in negotiations with Marvel to get the rights to making an X-Men TV show. They have rights for a feature. They're trying to emulate Marvel in many ways. Um, one of the things being is that Marvel has Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter going on. The one red flag that I pull up is, Fox, you're great, but you're not very good with continuity. Do you really want to do this? Right, well, because they can't put Brian Singer in charge of it, and so that's going to be troublesome. Fox's stuff only really seems to work when they put somebody at the helm who really deeply cares about whatever the subject matter is. I'm curious to see if it will actually come about because I don't really see I don't really see Marvel really really wanting to give Fox more opportunity. Marvel is not going to give any ground. Marvel just fought so hard with Sony for Spider-Man that Marvel wants to have all the rights. Marvel wants all of their rights back. They realize now that it was such a mistake to start piecing them out back when they did, and so they are not going to give anything up. In fact, Fox approaching them with this is going to make Marvel go, actually, we're going to make an X-Men TV show now. It might be the only real way to do it, though, too, because to do an X-Men TV show, it would Fox bring in the actors from the X-Men movie and have them on the TV show? Or would they try to do something, like, brand new? Because that's paying a lot of money to those actors for that TV show. Well, I feel like if it is produced by Fox, there will be certain characters that they can negotiate softly with. On Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Samuel L. Jackson appeared on it a couple of times. I don't know Samuel L. Jackson personally. He's a nice man. Yeah, he's he's pretty cool. He seems like a pretty awesome guy. Yeah, next time Russell and I invite you to the function. Yeah. Can I walk down the path of the righteous no. man? No, okay. No, don't get cocky. Like, don't even mention that movie to him. A big mistake. Because he will, he will finish the whole quote and then shoot you in the kneecap. I'm not joking. I watched him do it to a man. That's why we don't invite people to the functions anymore. He he's always seemed like a guy that's that's pretty open to doing things like that and they talk about his contract being up and I feel like that's not going to be too too big of an issue as long as Marvel wants him back. Um he seems very very open to reappearing in things that he likes, which is probably why he does so many Tarantino movies and why he has been so open to doing Marvel movies. And he seems to be having a blast with it. So I feel like that would be kind of what Fox would aim for is find those characters where it would it would bump up the ratings when they need them to but at the same time it's not like hey Hugh Jackman here's a hundred million dollars to appear in this for five minutes we talk about Rogue I mean True Blood's over for Anna Paquin do you think it would be really that hard for them to go what if we gave you another TV series you get steady work you don't have to worry about anything yeah but what are they going to do with the character for that too I mean what have they done with the character so far fair enough one of the questions that I'm sort of looking at is, well, what is the series going to be about? When is it going to take place? If they're going to want to do it as a continuity thing, where it is involved with the X-Men movies, how do they keep things from getting tied up too much? And if it's involved with Xavier's school, you know, if in the movie the school gets invaded, like an X2 or something like that, you have to have consequences of that in the show. We saw that with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when S.H.I.E.L.D. completely collapsed in Captain America Winter Soldier. Those consequences had to be held. The other thing is they may not try to do, you know, the shared continuity there. They may do a side-by-side parallel universe continuity because, of course, Xavier's Institute in the comics has gone on for 
however long. That's kind of like what Warner Brothers is doing. You know, Warner Brothers is not afraid of having a movie flash and a TV flash. Where would you guys place this? What would you guys make this TV series about? Okay, uh, first quick question. Okay. Does it have to be in continuity with the movies, or can it be not? You decide that. Cool. Actually, I'd like to see it to where it's the original comic series of the Xavier Institute first starting out. You know, Charles is trying to train, you know, Cyclops, Jean Grey, Hank, McCoy, uh, you know, Bobby. They're all just starting to discover their powers. They're virtually kids, right. and they don't know what they're and doing. And they're being trained. They have absolutely no idea how to handle it. And you're getting to watch them discover what their powers can and can't do. You see how they got bullied at school, pressured for what they were. Right. When you're the sort of kid where an uncontrolled action, and as a teenager, let me tell you, there are a lot of those. Most of you listening have been teenagers. Remember how klutzy you were, and think about if every time you would fuck something up, somebody died. And what kind of drama that would bring into your life. But it's also a part of seeing younger Xavier. Like, Xavier's still in his 30s and 40s by that time, but younger in the sense of he's now just now starting to teach people. That's not what he's always done. He's getting used to learning how the proper way of actually helping these kids while not just being more of a parent and friend, but still being a teacher to them. Sort of delve more into that first class Xavier who doesn't have all the answers. Right. But going back to what you were saying about being young and one of the things that is is one of the backbones of x-men is that concept of nobody understands me right and that it definitely speaks to a lot of the teenage experience one thing that i like about that show idea blake is if fox does get get those rights and doesn't decide to do the shared universe between the tv show and the movies this is a really easy way to reboot Oh, yeah. Is you've got all the young characters. You're back in time a ways. One of the things about the X-Men comics is the fact is that if you're starting from there, then you can go wherever they went. Of course, with TV, you're going to have to do rewrites and you're going to have to change things, do with what you have to work with. But at the same time, you know, you can have that point where, you know, season three, who's this guy named Wolverine that's running around stabbing people mm-hmm. you know and then as it goes on like you can you can slowly build up and hell actually if if you work it well enough heck you can make this a soap opera that goes on for 30 years and then get all right. the way up to you know the generation hope stuff are you saying so. you want this to be the next Degrassi yes Ugh. actually I want it to be Degrassi Xavier Institute <laughs> right fair enough and Jay and Silent Bob can make a cameo on that too I had two ideas that popped into my head when you talked about this. I either want them to do a shared universe style, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. sort of thing without it taking place in the current time of the movies. Start with whatever movie is furthest back in the past and then do one season each of the show for each movie as as you move through the timeline. Would you go through the trilogy and then go back in time to deal with Wolverine? That is an interesting question. Uh, I feel like I would start it with the stuff back in the 60s. I was really hoping you were going. I was hoping we would start it in, you know, the 1850s, you know, right. when Wolverine first got his claws. And or, then just move uh, up from there. Or start it in the 1930s and, uh, and deal with, you know, Hitler. That would be a great first season. Uh, real showstopper. <laughs> One of my favorite jokes in the comics is when Kitty Pride is teaching a class and she's teaching like the the history of mutants mm-hmm. and she goes now raise your hand if you know who 
the first mutant is? And the correct answer for the Marvel Universe is Namor. But she goes, raise your hand if you know who the first mutant is, and please, nobody say Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's actually a perfect lead into my other idea, which is Astonishing X-Men era X-Men. Do it as, you know, separate universe, but, you know, Cyclops is the one in charge. And Xavier is off Xavier-ing. Um, <laughs> off, you know, running around or wheeling around or whatever you want to do. Whatever it is he's doing. You're sort of seeing the teachers deal with this this private pain of not having Xavier around to ask about stuff. You've got, obviously, Kitty Pride, who's awesome. And she's teaching. Uh, you have Emma Frost, who is... You know, has only been a villain in those movies so far, um, and you get to see sort of the relatable side of her character. Yeah, and that is one of the things about Emma is that when she, when you actually give her time to grow, it's one of those things of she becomes this hero, but she comes she becomes this hero who always has this edge to her. The very first arc of Astonishing X Men, the soldiers attack, and she takes psychic control of their minds and implants a hypnotic suggestion that when they hear the word parsley longitude or something else. You know, they will vomit uncontrollably for 48 solid hours. So it's like, yeah, she's a hero. She's on the side of the heroes. But she's got some some. She urges. was a villain once. That's the thing that I love about Emma Frost is that, you know, her motive changes, but her attitude does not. Mm-hmm. When she falls in love with Cyclops and when they start having a relationship together, there are constant conversations where Cyclops is just like, I love you, but I don't know if I trust you all the way. <laughs> right. You know? I feel like that would be a really fun TV show. It introduces some interesting characters as well as some some names that you know fairly well that you might be able to pull from the movies. What if they did a House of M TV series where you're not with the X-Men, you're with Magneto and his group, and they're introducing like this new mutant. Pick a new one. That would know, be one that's continuity. And they're brought in thinking... The humans are not nearly as good as you. They're looking down. They're trying to kill you. You're seeing Magneto's side of the story. And this kid's being brought up to think that Magneto's right. Magneto is right. Of course. And his way is the only way to do it. Like, no, Magneto is right. Magneto is demonstrably right. His whole thing is the humans will never stop gunning for us and trying to, you know, destroy us and this, that, and the other because they recognize that we're a threat. Look, look, look here, motherfuckers. I am always on the side of evil. That's cool. He's not evil. He's right. Well, no, he is evil. He's right, but he's evil. His methods are wrong, but his philosophy is not. What I'm saying is that you're seeing this kid brought up on those methods, as well as the philosophies, and then they tangle with the X-Men every now and again. And then finally, towards the end of the series, the kid starts to realize, you know, maybe this isn't the right choice. And then the next season, you can actually have him over in the X-Men and trying to deal with the tendencies he's picked up with Magneto's crew and how they've always done things and trying to balance. I've got two as well. Go on. The first, I always remember as a kid reading a comic, and I don't know where it was in continuity or anything like that. It was the tale of one of the first times that Xavier met Aurora Storm. You know, He's not in the wheelchair. He's basically on safari. He winds up going to this town and meeting this extremely powerful psychic. And he has an inner psychic battle. And of course, they're, they're sitting in chairs across from each other, but whoever loses is gonna die. 
so what I think would be awesome would be like a Young Adventures of Xavier, where he's this globe-trotting British guy that is kind of suave and kind of an asshole in ways, but at the same time, he's too smart for his own good. As he goes through, he winds up slowly meeting more and more mutants and learning that he's not the only one. So you basically want to take the Young Adventures of Indiana Jones and Eerie Indiana and make it into one series? Why not? With uh, Quartermain, I mean Xavier. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can have a show where you where you see all these different places. Yeah, it's fucking Indiana Jones with with psychics. So. Yeah, it's Young Indiana, the Adventures of Young Indiana Jones and Eerie Indiana. You just took two TV series from back then and put them together. Which again, I'd watch it. Young Adventures of Eerie Indiana Jones. Oh, but the second one that I would do, you can actually have it in continuity. It would be an X Force. And X-Force okay. is sort of X-Men, but black ops. Especially when they've gotten into some of the later X-Force stories, it gets really compelling because X-Force is doing things that the X-Men should not be doing. And they're doing it in secret from the X-Men and their X-Men members. You know, Wolverine's a main player in newer series. The main series that, that I used to read was X-23. It was uh, Wolfsbane. It was Warpath. X-Force could be something really, really cool where you have characters that are the smaller characters. Like Wolverine. Like Wolverine. Well, besides Wolverine, you don't have Wolverine in it. They're going out on missions that are questionably moral or immoral. They are a task force. They are somebody that's going to hunt down people. What they do is they hunt down extremists. And then you start with this new mutant that's just getting used to their powers, and they join. And then as they go through the series, they start realizing maybe this isn't how we're supposed to be, and there's a better way. And then in the second season, they're actually on the X-Men side, and they're trying to realize, you know, how they do things is supposed to be. Oh, wait, no, this is exactly what I said. I just didn't use X-Force. Wrong, Blake. (laughs) (laughs) What if Magneto controls the X-Force? Bum, bum, bum. I just want one of those comic book movies to hire Nathan Fillion. I don't understand why it hasn't happened yet. I mean, I I can explain it to you, but I think you'll hate me for explaining it to you. Go on. Nathan Fillion, although a beautiful and talented more than anyone else on the planet. And perfect and man. And perfect man. Don't forget his hair and his chin. Right. With a beautiful His strong set arms. of chins and hairs and strong <laughs> arms and is there anything I'm missing? No, go on. Glinty eyes. <laughs> beautiful pools of whatever right, color his weird. eyes are. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, now we're all uncomfortable. Okay. Me included, and that's saying something. But Nathan Fillion sadly has just gotten too old. If he was going to be the leading man material, it needed to have sparked for him. Um, a long, long time ago. And also, he he's become a TV personality. He is. He's a very good TV personality, too. It is extremely hard for TV actors to transfer. But to be honest, I mean, Nathan Finley's done a lot of good stuff. And a lot more. Uh, he and Alan Tudyk are exploring some of the, the internet distribution sort yes. of thing. Like uh, Con Man. Con Man's a web series that they're going to do. Um, which is basically like... Galaxy Quest, except for with Firefly, right? Well, basically, yeah, except it's it's all the part of Galaxy Quest before the aliens turn out to be real. Yeah. It's literally following the life of struggling sci-fi actors who used to work on a really popular TV show. Which I can see their dynamic. Having Nathan Fillion being a little bit too cocky, 
Like, I could definitely see Nathan Fillion kind of trying to do a William Shatner impersonation, kind of. Oh, yeah. Like, like William Shatner's a legend, and he's great. He's the only person that can talk like William Shatner, and people be okay with it. But, yeah, no, I could definitely see Nathan Fillion bringing some of that to it. And then that juxtaposed with Alan Tudyk, who could be sort of the, you know, nobody really pays as much attention to me. The Leonard Nimoy yeah. character. And I feel like they could definitely pull that off. And obviously they're going to be drawing on their own experiences. Obviously Alan Tudyk's character in this is going to be sort of a uh, the passed over one. The one that the fans of the show remember, but his major experience is signing autographs at cons. Alan Tudyk was in, you know, movies like Dodgeball that... Not me, but asshole jocks still quote. If any of you at home are asshole jocks, please thank you for listening to our show. Right, and also, you know, quote Dodgeball some more. It's got Alan Tudyk in it. He's the pirate guy in case you didn't know who we're talking about. It's fine. We know you didn't. (laughs) Wow, and you guys were bitching about Tumblr ten minutes ago. Jesus (laughs) Christ, man. We don't have many friends. (laughs) More importantly... I'd be more terrified of Tumblr coming to find us than the jocks. They couldn't work the GPS. It's cool. Fight me IRL, bro. That's right. I can't lift my arms high enough to punch the buttons on the GPS in my car. Can you scratch my nose? I'm so swole. I can't reach my nose anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The next thing that I've got for you guys is that there are three very, very interesting biopics coming out. The first one, which is Life, which is about James Dean. And it stars Robert Pattinson, but Robert Pattinson doesn't play James Dean. Um, Then the second one is Tom Hedleston is going to play Hank Williams. The third biopic that they've got is Don Cheadle is directing and starring in a Miles Davis biopic called Miles Ahead. So, Life. We watched the trailer to it. What'd you think? I I really like it. I've... I've been a huge James Dean fan. I think he was a really good actor in what he did. I think he kind of personified the era the way it was. But the big thing for me was when you actually read about his life and how, what he had to deal with outside of it and what he wanted to do and all of that, he had a really tragic life. And it ended so quickly, too. And just after watching this trailer, you know, at first you're going, okay, this is all about Twerk Light, whatever his name is, uh... The dude that died in Harry Potter um, is Robert you know, Pattinson. Sure, whatever. Cedric Diggory. Yeah, him is like the main character, which is you know usually when you do a biopic, the main character is the guy you're doing it about. But I think it's an interesting take on this one, and you're actually seeing James Dean's life through this uh, through Robin Patterson's character. Yeah, it's not the first time that I've seen where they make your protagonist somebody that's just affected by the main character and a lot of times it's actually a good idea no i think i think it works Um, really well especially for this you can see that character who's just he's an inch closer to that famous person than we are Um, but at the same time he's still going through the same kind of emotions that we are going through he just happens to be able to see the seams you know that's kind of what it seems like robert pattinson's um, character is going to be and also he's got his own motivations to it you know it's not simply you know I want to make James Dean famous I want to get famous off of James Dean too you know I want to I want to ride his coattails but also it seems really really interesting where it seems like the the person that Robert Pattinson is playing at least from this trailer it seems like has a lot to do with the creation of the James Dean image the rebel without a cause cool but cool for a newer generation 
I think it looks like a worthwhile picture. The only thing for me is that it seems like like a high school production because they all seem fairly young. Maybe when I watch it, I'll just be like, this is perfect for it. And maybe it's just one of those things of James Dean was really, really young when he died. And it is one of those things of I feel like film is really weird how the concept of age in it. When we see somebody that's an icon and how we mentally understand their age, I feel like differs from if we actually knew them and were spending time with them. You remember his his major scene was when he was just he was inebriated outside of he was on he was sitting on the uh, shoe shine rack, and they were supposed to uh, what was the movie? Streetcar Named Desire. Yes, yes, yes. There's the part you know where he's on the shoe shine rack and he's talking to his dad and all this, and they're they're not understanding why he's emotionally just distraught by this whole thing. And they actually talked to James Dean later, and they said, where did you pull that, you know, emotion from? It's like, that's been my life. That's just, you know, there have been times when I've just felt so like that. One, and, I mean, he's, he's lived tragedy. One line from this trailer is, um, is where he's talking about the fact that he, he's really just looking to act. You know, and it is one of those things of, like, he's not, he all, like, he states that all he wants to do is, is be able to act and perform. And that, to me, is a very strong line because I... I feel like a lot of people think that, oh, acting is just quoting lines. You know, acting is just reading the script. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is one of those things of, like, you have to be able to emote. You have to be able to pull out emotions. You have to be able to control what your face you is doing. You have to be doing. able to draw in the audience and yeah, make them right. empathize with what you're doing and saying. There are people that can get away with the simple act of being able to say the line's cool. Like, Statham. I love Statham. Statham is the last action hero. You name one other person. Maybe The Rock. Maybe The Rock, you can call it. But you name one other person that can get away with. You're one character. You just change the name, change the setting. And you still constantly are selling out. You still constantly are having people go to the box office for you. It's not that easy to be an actor. I mean, especially when you look at, you know, during the time that James Dean was getting into acting, it was when, you know, they just introduced what now we would call, what we, we would call now to the day is designer drugs, you know, the drugs that everyone took and all this stuff. And they're like, this is the life that you've got to lead with all these other people. And James Dean was like, I didn't, I didn't want any of this. I just, I want to go out there and do this stuff. And then that's what drug him down even further when he had to try to, you know, mingle with these other stars and producers and everything else the same way they do. And it just hit him so hard. But I'm, I really want to see this movie. Yeah. I really, really do. I think this, you know, what's funny, we talked about doing biopics uh, a few podcasts ago. Like, who would we choose for it? I, I don't think we mentioned James Dean or not. I can't remember. I'd have to go back and listen to it. But I'm really glad they're doing this one. Yeah, yeah. Like, this, this definitely looks like something that's worthwhile. Uh, moving on to Hank Williams. See, that's another one that died young. Hank was only 29 when he died. Was he now? When you say like Hank Williams Jr. and Hank Williams III nowadays, everyone's like, oh yeah, you know, there are these big country names of the southern country redneck, like the Texan kind of feel to him. Hank Williams, the senior, didn't have that. Like he's born in Alabama, if I remember right, and moved to Georgia originally because he wanted to be a singer. Like Hank's not even his real name. I think it was like Harem or Harem or something, and he changed it to Hank because he wanted to be a country singer. But he actually got rejected from the Opry. The Grand Ole Opry, like when he first wanted to go to it, and it wasn't till later in his career that he was allowed to become part of the Grand Ole Opry, which at that time in country music, that was how you got famous. 
it was if the Grand Ole Opry will take you. That's how you did it. Like nowadays, you've got a lot of these country singers that are famous, and then they go to the Opry. Yeah. Well, nowadays it is one of those things that like country has become more and more widespread. Whole thing is like Nashville was the mecca because this is where you know Opry's right there. This is where everything started and mm-hmm. everyone goes. But country is no longer country music. It's there's country, there's pop country, there's the country music's changing so much with the times as it should, as all things change. Crunk tree. Yeah, I wouldn't. I'm not I going. Guarantee that far you, yet. that's a genre. I'm not going that far yet, but I'm gonna find if out. It's not. It will be soon. I'm sure. And oh dear God, that. Please tell me that's not a real website that you're looking at. About Crunktree. <laughs> this is a website oh, that God. exists. Russell is just shaking his head. He has got some earphones on, and he's listening to this Crunktree, and he is not amused. Through his beard, you just see this big, like, grumpy cat frown. <laughs> you see this disdain upon his face. It just looks atrocious. That is not okay. That is not okay. Again, with James Dean, Hank actually had a huge alcohol problem and drugs like pills. Uh, he actually got kicked out of the Opry for that. And eventually, that eventually that's how he died. He died on New Year's Day. I don't remember the year, but he's only 29 when he died. Um, but he'd overdosed. I'm interested to see this for two reasons. Number one, I'm interested to see Tom Hiddleston, who, you know, is the fangirl's, you know, dreamboat. An exceptionally British person. Yes, he's an exceptionally British person, not just a standard British. He is exceptionally British, playing a, you know, Alabama Southern boy country singer. That's why. That's kind of one reason I want to see it is because I'd like to see Tom Hiddleston trying to portray this because I think he's a brilliant actor, but he is so like high class British. So, Matt, what do you think about this Hank biopic? It's something that I'll be interested in seeing. I'm not a follower of Hank Williams. Biopics are something that there will be somebody that I haven't followed, and then I'll check out the biopic, and then all of a sudden feel feel enlightened to a life that I should have known. The big one recently is uh, Alan Turing, who is the guy that old Cumberbatch played uh, that made the machine for World War II. The, 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 the cipher. The, yeah, the cipher machine. Um or the giant decoder ring. Yeah, the giant decoder ring. Um, little Orphan Annie's decoder ring. Right. What a crock. This is supposed to stop Nazis. But, like, it's one of those things of if it wasn't for that movie, I would not know who Alan Turing is. And I think that's kind of one of those things that, you know, it's it's a fine line that they have to walk with. Do we do a biopic about someone you don't know but played a major part in history or about life and all that? Or do you pick someone like James Dean or Hank Williams? And, you know, you might show a side to them that the people that are their fans did not want to know or see. Well, I think, right. like, shedding light on on both, on people that, that are infamous and then people that should be famous. Right, exactly. For me, that's that's not as much a question. The people... The people like Turing that have played that much part in history, um, they deserve to be known. Turing, um, this was a blurb at the end of Imitation Game, uh, he was he was gay, he was chemically castrated, and he committed suicide because of that a couple of years later. Honestly, socially, that point is just as much to note about him you know, creating the machine is the fact that he is an example of this intense prejudice. Right. In the movie, they focused a lot on the the code breaking that he did. Um, he went on from there 
um, and sort of expanded that into the theoretical basis of pretty much all computer science that's done today. He defined the fundamental problem in computer science um, and, you know, basically made all of the computing stuff that we do now possible. And he died forgotten because of because of this prejudice against him for who he was it very much is depressing to to think about that to think about that not even that long ago 80 years ago we were yeah with with within people's lifetime right we were we were letting people you know die penniless and forgotten because of something that we have now you know, accept, I wouldn't say accepted as a society, but we have, we're you heading know, towards that direction. Right. We're, we're heading toward acceptance. Most people agree that it's not, you know, it's not a choice and it's not because obviously why would he choose that life? Why would he choose to do that? For me, it's, it's not even a choice. If you're going to do a biopic, do it on someone who, who's an unsung hero. The third one is uh, is Don Cheadle's Miles Davis biopic uh, called Miles Ahead. This is honestly the one that I'm most excited for. And it's purely because I, I am a big Miles Davis fan. And it's also because I've heard stories about Miles Davis where I'm just like, this guy must have had some crazy type of personality. One of my absolute favorite stories is there was a acapella group. What they would do is they would take jazz songs and they would take all the pieces from the jazz songs and then they would do them in like scat and bop and kind of things like that. I forget the name of the group because it was a really weird, weird naming group. Um, but they would, you know, somebody would do a solo and then one of them would sing that solo as if that had been played on the instrument that it was originally played on. And there were some artists that were extremely flattered by this going, wow, you could, you could do what I did with this and then you could create it and take it into something else. One story that I once heard was, the main guy that had created this was at a diner and he was eating this steak and he the group had done a Miles Davis song and out of nowhere Miles Davis comes into the diner and he sits down across from the table with this guy and this guy's like this is Miles Davis right and Miles Davis pulls the plate away grabs the fork and the knife and just starts eating this guy's steak and the dude looks at him and goes hey that's my steak and miles davis just looks at him and goes hey that was my song like because he was extremely pissed that somebody would do something like that and it's one of those things of like having that kind of attitude and that like willingness to just walk in a place and just start eating some guy's steak one of the things about miles davis is that he was constantly ahead of the game and he was ahead of the game partly because of necessity because he was infuriated with the fact that one of the things about a lot of our musical history as Americans is that something that is considered black music will be taken and popularized by you know white producers and white label makers and all that going from blues to jazz to rock and roll these are all things that started out as black music Miles Davis sort of went along with that evolution being like I'm done with jazz and the reason why he was done with jazz was because he felt it was taken from him and then that's when he started going to rock and roll and started doing you know stuff like uh, Bitches Brew and the weird funk stuff that he did I'm excited 
I'm a fan of his, and he he's got an extremely strong personality. And I don't know a lot about his story, so. This has been Fun Facts with the Uncut Rewind. James Dean. And Robert Pattinson. And I'm Matt. <laughs> Good night, everybody. You could have been Miles Davis. I could have been Miles Davis. Yeah, the the whole reason that lightning bugs, you know, light up is sex. That's right. So you remember, guys, when your kids are out there catching fireflies and putting them in the jar and going, "Oh, they're lighting up. They're so cute." They are. They're trying to blockers of the highest order. <laughs> That's right. They're literally the only ones that fly. The only ones that fly are the male fireflies. So it's literally a cock block, no matter what, if they're catching them in the jars. And they don't even poke poke holes in lids. Some of your children's caught lightning bugs will die virgins. And deservedly so. <laughs> deservedly so. Right, they should have flown better. They'll pass those genes on to the next generation. <laughs>